I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And you are not listening to Review the Future. This is our new podcast. Thank you for sticking with us. This is going to be something pretty different. We're going to be kind of figuring it out as we do it. But we're very excited to work on something different. Uh, We have a graphic novel idea. This would be our second graphic novel after Let Go, which is already available. available now. That's right. You can go to to Amazon or wherever right now and purchase that. Actually, go to letgocomic.com would be the best place to start. But we wanted to do another graphic novel, use some of the things that we've learned. And we've had this sci-fi idea kicking around for a very long time. Uh, When do you think we first talked about this idea, Ted? 2007, 2008, maybe at the latest. Pre-Obama. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably from the last recession. That's how long ago (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) It probably was, which means it's probably relevant again right now as we tumble into another disaster, (laughs) much like that. Right. Well, I think there's other reasons why this might be relevant right now, which we'll get into. But before I even like talk about what the idea is, the podcast itself, we're going to be just having our weekly meetings, essentially, where we talk about getting this graphic novel done. In the beginning, that's going to mean a lot of world building, uh, a lot of character building, a lot of story crafting. And then eventually we'll have a script and we're going to have to go through the whole process of finding an artist and getting this thing hopefully published. So it's going to be basically that whole ride from start to finish, and we're just going to going to record all of our meetings for you, and hopefully people find it interesting. Yeah, well, not to sell it too hard, because you're already here listening, I guess, but uh, I, we are going to do some speculating, and we're going to do some working out the details of this world as we build it, and I think that might appeal to some of the folks who have been listening to us doing our speculative thing in the more formal format that the old podcast was. But maybe we can bring in some other people too who are interested in, you know, what the process of of making a sort of long form piece of art like this is because it's its own sort of skill set. And it's something now we've done a few times and I think we have something to uh, show you about it, hopefully. It also happens to be that we are geographically separated. We're on opposite sides of the United States these days. So we are going to be doing all of our planning remotely anyway. So that's part of why it occurred to us to record all this. <laughs> it's sort of well, may as well. And that's something that's just sort of interesting in itself because it's technologically enabled. And in the past, uh, despite there being Skype and stuff, we've always done our work face to face. So uh, it'll be different to do it this way. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that's going to be strange at all to people who are now in this new coronavirus reality where everyone is doing everything online now if they possibly can. So again, I guess that's appropriate for the times. But it it is a a science fiction idea, this this graphic novel. And we are going to have tangents. We are going to be talking about other works of science fiction that we are either drawing inspiration from or drawing uh, counter inspiration from. Running from, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I think there will end up being a lot of the same kinds of, of content anyways, just as we naturally work on this thing. And in fact, I don't know if we ever made this totally clear, but the original Review the Future podcast kind of came out of graphic novel planning as well. We just didn't really label it that way. I mean, for much of the beginning of Review the Future, we were working on the Let Go comic before we even announced it and basically trying to world build for it. And world building for that comic required you know, fully imagining a near future world. And the process of doing that work and that research was what led to the podcast. So it it may not be that different in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So hopefully this will have some interest to our listeners, but now we should start doing it and stop talking about it, right? So what's our first 
like major thing that we got to talk about. I mean, I think we should explain a little bit about maybe just what the idea is. Yeah. Um, right. This will just help it, us to to understand to make sure we know what it is we're doing here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so we've been calling this permissions for a long time. That's almost certainly not going to be the release name, but we call it permissions because what we're picturing is a completely digital simulation world, which is not a totally weird idea now. I mean, I think when we came up with this almost a decade ago or more than a decade ago, I think the idea of you know, people as software beings in a virtual reality and grappling with that was a little bit more unusual. But now that we've had Black Mirror and there's even now this new upload show Mm -hmm. and other things like that, I think this like sort of set of ideas is a little more common, but there's a lot of things that make our particular Well, there was The Matrix, right? I mean... Oh, The Matrix, That was like a big watershed because that was the first time a mainstream movie had like explained that in very straightforwardly. But... Of course, in The Matrix, it's this world that's been pulled over everyone's eyes, and the big thing is they don't know it, right? So uh, I remember us having a conversation a million years ago about, you know, well, wouldn't they know it? (laughs) Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't they, wouldn't everybody remember the day they got scanned in or whatever happened, you know? well, I guess their memory gets erased or something, right? right I, I right. mean, I, they, I don't know. It's yeah. like the 18th Matrix. They keep rebooting the people, but I, it, not, none of that really made a lot of sense to me when I watched the movie. So I, I think, yeah, this is something that now has become, I mean, Rick and Morty makes fun of it and stuff like that, right? It's a, it's a, a common sci-fi idea, but I feel like it was new to the mainstream in the late 90s and, and hasn't been fully explored with the really with like an idea of like um post-scarcity and what that means because they're always simulating the 1990s or something they're always simulating some world that works just like our world and then somebody has superpowers but (laughs) it's not yeah you know it's not like everybody has superpowers because wouldn't that just cost the computers the same amount of processing (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, and, and let's sort of draw some of the distinctions. Like, you know, again, so all we so far we've said is that this is a sort of a, a simulation uh, VR world that the, the story is set in. Right. Uh, but I, I think, again, one of the major markers that I would say is different right away is that if you're talking about, say, The Matrix for comparison, The Matrix is all about, uh, you know, whether you're in The Matrix or not, right? Right. I'm in The Matrix. I don't know I'm in The Matrix. Then I realize I am in The Matrix. Then I, like, jack out of The Matrix and escape, right? Then maybe I get threatened that I'm going to get put back in or, like, I want to go back in, right? It's all about, like, bouncing back and forth between the real and virtual that exist in parallel to each other. And that's what most of these stories are. Right. In fact, as far as I know, that's 100% of them, right? I mean, can you think of one of these stories that isn't about bouncing back and forth between real and virtual things? Oh, um, I feel like, you know, um, they're not exactly VR stories, but I feel like some of the Philip K. Dick stories are like this, where you think there's a real world to get back to, and then it turns out there's nothing, (laughs) you know? Um, I think he sometimes does that, but yeah, but he's also really into the bouncing back and forth thing too. Right? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, he'll bounce even you if back it's a illusory. few times and then, you know, you think the character's going to get back, but then instead they turn it, you know, they find out that both realities were fake and you know, there's like that hard left turn that sometimes happens at the end of a, a dick book. And then, 
you know, something else weird happens for a little while and then it ends. I feel like, um, I can't remember for sure whether they're, they had that in this one, but like, I feel like in the adjustment team, which is the one the adjustment bureau is based on. Oh, okay. I've not read that one. The gray, uh, I'm, I'm mixing up the, uh, the details in my mind now, but I, I have a feeling that that's one where like, it's, you know, there's these men who are fixing things or they're a little bit like the, the gray men in, in dark city, they stop the clocks and they're fixing things. They wear the weird hats or whatever. And then, um, somebody finds out about it and they think that, you know, that's reality. And then it turns out that neither is, I think, I think that's how that goes. But anyway, <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is something that's not that commonly done. I can sort of maybe think of a Phil Kadek that might do it kind of. <laughs> right. And so yeah. to be clear, what yeah. we're doing is we, you're in this virtual world, but again, I mean, virtual maybe isn't even the right term. Right, right. Because... it's not really virtual because there is no real world in this conception, right? Like everything's in the box. Like whatever substrate is running this simulation, that's we're never going to get outside of that. Right. So for the characters in this in this world, they you know remember. I mean, it starts maybe a little bit like uh, some of these stories start, or maybe like an afterlife story would start, right? Where. Uh, you know, at least this is where the timeline starts, right? Which is that, you know, everybody was going about their business uh, normally. I don't know if we'd set an exact date yet, but like, let's say, you know, it was 2020, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then they go to sleep and then they wake up and they're in this simulated world where like all the rules are different and they don't really exactly know why they're in there, but they're never going to escape. They're never going to find out exactly why they're in there. They just sort of have to grapple with this new simulated reality and all the things that that entails and what that entails is like you said some some uh, post-scarcity ideas right obviously now no one needs to worry about eating for example because they're simulated people right um everyone has brand new freedoms they have superpowers as you alluded to before um but then they also like are subject to sort of software like rules i mean now all of a sudden people have settings they have a a pain setting maybe that they can dial up and down. Um, they have the possibility to create uh, worlds with different rules and to sign contracts with other beings in this world that allow, you know, access or deny access to certain worlds. And in, in other words, there's still an economy here that's that we're going to get more into <laughs> later on the podcast. I don't want to get too into the weeds with that now. Right. Um, but yeah. there's like a go ahead but just the the basic thing is that we kind of imagine that inside this simulated world like we're, we're just trying to imagine what are the realistic consequences of a simulated world like this and you would basically have um a structure similar to the way a large multi-user computer system is structured where um everybody is like kind of like a file in this giant file system and they have permissions that they control over themselves and their worlds. And that is like sort of the fundamental basis of everybody's ability to talk to each other, to interact with each other, to um, uh, visit one another, uh, and to do anything that involves anything other than just their own like imagination, right? Because inside their own imagination, they can do anything they want. They're, they're infinitely powerful in their own world. They can create an infinite army of AI companions. They can, um, 
design their world to look and feel however they want. They can experience whatever they want to experience as long as it doesn't involve other real persons. Um, but if they want to interact with other people, then they have to uh, deal with the fact that everybody's got their own autonomy and their own um, permissions. And that's really where we, that's where that, that working title came from was that we were sort of imagining everyone is like a file on a Unix server basically. And they have this list of things that they can control. Well, and the, the fact that even though this is a post-scarcity world, there still can be a pretty robust and complicated economy and set of desires and unfulfilled desires and so on yeah. that have to be navigated for drama. And they revolve largely around this idea of what are you actually permitted to do? Right. And yes, you can do, like, as you were saying, you can do whatever you want in your home world. But the second you want to interact with another being or enter their world... Uh, all of a sudden, you know, some sort of contract or set of permissions has to arbitrate that. And there's a lot of room for drama there. Um, and now, I mean, and again, we're never going to leave the box, so to speak. Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, the characters in this world won't have some theories about what the box is. Um, and it would be possible to do science inside of the box to sort of try to figure out what those rules are. But we're never going to have anybody escape from the box. And in fact, when we start the story, we're not going to necessarily start it with, you know, the everybody waking up inside the simulation. Uh, we're going to start it, you know, maybe 50 years down the line to right. the point at which, like, everyone's given up on the idea that they're going to get out of the box or most people have. They've gone on with their lives and a new culture has sprung up around this this new reality that involves uh you know, a sort of post-scarcity economy that revolves around, like, revolves around uh, trading these permissions um, and other things that still still would matter in a, in a software environment. Right. And this is where some of our modeling of what, um, what stays scarce becomes relevant because the things that are important are, you know, p bits of information or status um, and those types of things. Uh, for example, if you know about a cool world that people might want to hang out at, but it's not listed publicly, then that's valuable information to have. Or if you uh, have the permission to go to a high-status world that is sought after, that's uh, exciting. So those are the kinds of things that people might compete over endlessly, even if they have no material needs, even if they can have any of their, you know... Um, desires fulfilled in a in a sort of fantastical way um they would still perhaps uh want to compete over these things so we can create some interesting you know relatable human stories even though this is a world of sort of post-human uh beings right right and so we're sort of we're foregrounding the world right now which is i think part of the goal here yeah but the idea ultimately is that you can tell interesting stories in this setting that are surprising and novel because the the rules of this reality are so so unique. But not just unique, they're also going to be very explicit or as explicit as we can make them to the audience. And that's sort of like the other part of the concept. This is a little bit more like high level abstract, but what I want to make here and maybe what you want to make here is the kind of thing that I want to see but am not seeing, which I I think of it as sort of like rules-based storytelling or systemic storytelling. Um, which like, you know, 
I, I mean, th- this is common in, in, I think, in fantasy, and it's common in science fiction and speculative fiction of all types that you see, you know, novel and interesting rules, right, um, laid out. Um, but I think it's not always, it's not always as consistent or as clear as it could be. And like the, the repercussions of those rules aren't always, you know, ex- explored as, as much as I would like, right? Um, in, in other words, like I, I'm imagining, and I, I think I maybe come up with a few examples in a second, but um, something where you get explained a rule of a world and you, much like a mystery novel, right? Like, like a mystery novel may like, like leave you all the clues and if you just could put them all together like in a good mystery novel sometimes it is possible for the reader to predict the ending right right so there's this sense that there's like a puzzle there and when a good mystery novel when you do get the answer uh to who committed the murder you like slap your forehead and you're like oh i should have seen that coming that makes total sense right right? like every rule in in a sense is like a bit of a promise of like there's implications of this rule and there's implications of how this rule interact with other rules and we can drop little clues and hints and tell you the rules of the game and of the world that the story takes place in and when we actually have our big reveal of what happens uh the hope is that you'll feel like oh geez yeah i could have anticipated that if i had fully thought through the repercussions of the rules that i was told then i would have seen that coming and now it's very satisfying to see that um and like that sort of big picture you know something that I, that i want to achieve um and i don't really i mean there there are like i'm trying to think of things that are like very systemic um like there's a like there's a graphic novel series called like Bean World that right. gets called like that's like very abstract. It gets called like ecological fiction and it sort of like simulates like a 2D ecology of these like sort of stick figures and it sets out these these rules for you know what they eat and how they how they the the different like beings inside this world interact with each other. That's an example. Or maybe people have seen, uh, you know, we, horror is the other genre where you sometimes see this. So maybe people have seen like, uh, like It Follows, for example, right, right. which is, I think, a good example of a rules-based concept that, like so many of these, actually ultimately breaks down in the last, uh, have, you've seen that movie, right, Ted? I have not actually seen it, but you can spoil it for me. Um, yeah, I mean, so like there's this like general, I mean, the, it's sort of like modeled on like an STD, I think it's like sort of like, like so many horror movies, that's like roughly the analogy. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so I can't really do the full, uh, critique of it. But, um, you know, the basic idea, um, is that, uh, if you get, uh, like if you're, you sort of get infected with this thing and, uh, there's this like scary like zombie creature that is coming after you if you're infected with it but it comes after you at the pace that it can walk and it will get to you wherever you are so you can keep moving right like you can and you're the only one that can see it by the way it's just like the scary person walking towards you okay so so you can like fly to the other side of the country mm-hmm. and it will walk in real time unendingly towards you uh-huh. right so if you fly across the country you've got exactly the amount of time it takes this thing so to walk like three all months the way. or something right, right right but it can cross right. oceans like it will get to you wherever you are you're like never the only way you get rid of it is if you have sex with someone uh-huh. then they inherit it instead right now the problem is if it ever gets to its target and kills them mm-hmm. then it moves back to its previous target 
Mm, got it. So like people keep sort of passing it along, but there's this fear that it will always like, like if the person you pass it along to like doesn't survive, then it just comes right back to you. Mm. So when people pass it along, like obviously they don't want to tell people like, so they like, you know, con them into a date where they have sex. And then like later they reveal like, oh, now you've got this thing, but I need you to stay alive because it's going to come after me. So like, here are the rules and like, you know, try to pass it on to someone else. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's silly. Like, like, so it's like sort of a very complicated thing, and but yeah. it makes for good drama to have that set up. Now, the problem is ultimately, I think by the end, the movie gets a little bit confused as to what exactly the rules are. Like, it, like so many of these things, it doesn't stick to it that well. Mm. Do um, you remember when it breaks or not off the top of your head? <sighs> No, it's been it's been too long. I mean, I may have to rewatch it. They're like, like, uh, yeah, I'll I'll come back to that soon because I did. There was a, a a criticism I had of it, had of it, but it's been like three years now. Okay. Um, there's another. Actually, there's a movie on Netflix right now on their front page. The platform. Have you seen this? I saw the I saw the ad for it. I haven't seen it though. Okay. Did you get a sense of from the ad of like what it was? No, not really. What? <laughs> I mean, I I saw it, but I didn't. No, I didn't really know what I was looking at. Okay, I think this would also be roughly in the genre, and again, I don't think it t- is totally successful. Okay. Um, again, especially in the ending, and this I'd recently watched, so I can be a little more clear about it. But like, basically, it's like this prison system that you uh-huh. can get put into, and you know, it's like you have a sentence, some number of months, right? Yeah. And it's this multi-story building, and right. you're in like like this square floor, and the middle of the floor is a hole. And every floor has a hole. So you can look down the hole in the middle of your room and it goes all the way down. Okay. And they're numbered like with the lowest number on top. So the top floor is one and then it gets higher as you go down. And it goes down to like 250 or something like that. You have water and you have like a place to wash up, but you don't have much else. You get to bring one thing with you. Okay. And every month you change floors. Like it's, it's, it seems like a random lottery. Like you wake up on a different floor. Mm-hmm. And it's way better to be on the upper floors because the way everybody gets fed is this like very elaborate feast gets made um, that's based on like everybody when they enter prison has to like say what their favorite food is. Mm-hmm. And so they make everybody's favorite food, like put it on this like giant platform that's exactly the size of the hole in the middle of all these floors. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like the platform like moves down a floor, right. stays there for like a minute or two and then like moves down again so if you're on the bottom you're basically fucked like everything is gone right in fact even if you're below floor 50 there's very little left okay you have to hope that people fall down and commit suicides you can like cannibalize them or something it's a it becomes a pretty gruesome movie okay i don't know i, I don't want to summarize the entire movie <laughs> but like like it is a very like specific setup oh and then there's like another weird rule which is if you try to save food for some reason then as long as you're hanging on to that food, the temperature will either drop to freezing or raise to burning like over time until you t- get rid of the food and throw it down the hole. Okay. So like this, this punishment is like designed to really try to push people to like, what, o- only eat a little bit or something? <laughs> I mean, here's, okay. L- let me stop. I don't understand this at all, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me stop there because, like, ultimately, like, I don't think this is a good movie. <laughs> I'm not trying to like, like, you know, which is why, like, and and again, the ending is really, really bad. 
Like, I okay. mean, it kind of is successful in, in keeping to its rules for like the first half sure. and then it breaks. So here's another, here's another rule one. Did you see um, The Killing of a Sacred Deer? Oh, yeah. The Orgasm yeah. Lanthimos movie. So I like that movie. I don't know. Not everybody likes that movie, but I, I liked that movie and I thought it had I liked it too. a very simple rule that was obviously designed to create a super extreme dramatic situation, which is that this guy is told by an essentially magical character that he must choose one member of his family to kill and that if he doesn't, they'll all die, basically. Um, so it's pretty stark. And then the whole movie is the character trying to find a way out of the rules, right? And he just keeps failing. Every time he tries to like cheat the rules, it doesn't work. And then, yeah, I thought it pulled one punch at the very end because, uh, can I spoil it? I guess it's fine, right? Um, turn yeah, the podcast ahead. off if you haven't seen the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's like a million years old now. Um, it's a good movie. Go watch it. Um, okay, I'm going to spoil it. Uh, at the end of the movie, he just he, he blindfolds himself and he spins around and he just fires randomly until he hits one of the kids. And I, uh, I had a real problem with that because I feel like in the rules of that world, he should have never hit a kid until he took the blindfold off. <laughs> he should have, you know, because there's a serious chance if you're spinning randomly, you're just not going to hit anyone. And already it seems like it's a magical world where if, if he's not choosing actively, it doesn't work. And yeah, anyway, whatever. I see. Yeah, that would, one punch, that would... I think, but I like that movie generally. Although that doesn't actually break the rule necessarily, right? It's just like maybe not the most dramatic he just or, got out. Like, it's like the rule is you have to make the choice. And like the world seems almost magical in its enforcement of that rule. And then he didn't end up having to make the choice. Not really. Right. Well, and that's the thing about like clarity of the rules, right? Like, like whether you understand, like, is it about intent or like making the choice or not? Right. Like, is that included in it? Like some, some rules I think are going to be a little bit, like like all rules have this like property like where some of them are like a lot more clear cut yeah you know whether they're being followed or not and yeah. I think those are going to be a little bit better for for drama's sake because again you want the audience to like fully grasp what the rule is so that you can then like play with the repercussions of that um, yeah yeah you want the audience like imagining possible consequences and then some of those happen and some don't right you want the you want to play that game with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, another like example was like uh, that I talked to you about like not that long ago it was like in the third season of Expanse. Mm -hmm. They end up in this like reality where there's like a speed limit. Right. Right. Where like things can't travel above a certain speed or they get like frozen. Right. Um, and this is like this may be a good example of like where you can sort of anticipate something, right? Like this is my simple example of that. Like the, the show teaches you this rule that, right. That there's this alien tech around that, like if anything moves above like a certain speed, it's going to get frozen. And then a character for a variety of reasons, like decides that they have to set off a nuke in space. And like before that thing even gets set off, your brain has already fully combined those two rules. Like what does a nuke do? Like, it explodes outward very rapidly. What does the speed limit thing do? And you sort of, like, before it even happens on screen, you can imagine this, like, exploding nuke that then freezes into this, like, beautiful flower thing. Right. And, of course, that's, like, exactly then what the show delivers. And that's, like, just a small example of, like, what I think could be really satisfying. 
Um, ultimately, what I'd like to achieve is, I think, is much more than that than just a visual. But um, but that's sort of what I'm getting at. Right, right, right. Yeah. And if, if you can tie that to plot and character, then it'll be uh, more affecting maybe. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. You want to be able to predict some of what's going to happen, not in a way that makes it feel like, oh, they gave it away, but in a way that makes you feel smart. Like, oh, I put together these two ideas and I think this is what's going to happen. And then at least some of the time you're right. Uh, right. And yeah. and I think, um, you know, where if you want to, and, and to me, it's somewhat about consistency, right? Um, and like, this is generally a, a value for me in stories. Like, I don't think it's a value in all stories or that this has to be universalized, but you know, to me, like consistency of character is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, I tend not to like uh, comedies where, you know, they make characters like suddenly dumber than they should be because they want to sell some joke, right? That's something you see in sitcoms constantly. Um, I can't stand that. So I love consistency of character. Um, but that, you know, a lot of good stuff has consistent characters. I think that's widely understood by authors that that's a good thing to strive for. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like consistency of in of like at like the social science level, right? Of like, you know, anthropological stuff or like, you know, if you're painting a sci-fi world or a fantasy world or something like does it sort of economically make sense? Um I feel like again expanse right. has or like, like a pretty... are all the different parts of the society in sync, right? Like uh you know, the classic example of the Total Recall remake where they have the human robot welder you know it's like uh -huh. they've got robot police officers in this world that are humanoid and interacting with humans when they don't have robots that weld <laughs> they have robots that weld now you know it's like they they're out of sync like that's not a consistent world you know you can have a world actually you're right are, are welding robots for some reason but you can't also have that world be a world with walking humanoid police robots like that's crazy yeah, actually, like, at this level of consistency, like, the sort of society-wide cultural level, I mean, that's, you know, when we did our episode on, like, you know, the top 10 ways sci-fi fails to predict the future, a lot of those are relevant here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, what, what I was going to give an example of was, again, from Expanse, right, because they have this Martian society that they've explained, like, the entire goal economically of this society is to like terraform the planet right. right to make it into this garden like earth that they can then live on right um and then at some point in the show like they discover tons and tons of habitable planets all at once and again you if you put those two rules together in your head you can figure out what the result ought to be right which is that right like m the entire mars economy will now collapse because like suddenly there's an abundance of the thing they were spending tons of money and effort to create yeah total cultural upheaval because their goal now seems silly right it's like right. they had a they had a thousand year goal and all of a sudden there's a way to achieve that in a hundred years and so no one is going to stick with the thousand year goal at that point right yeah so that's that's sort of at the social science level and yeah. then there's like hard hard science like harder like physics consistency right and that's like you know when i was talking about the speed limit or you know when we're talking about like some of these like weirder um horror movie movie ideas they almost like interact with like the physics of like how does the ghost work or, or that the problem is where a lot of them fails they often don't have any sort right. of strict rules i guess those are metaphysics um, then right yeah <laughs> yeah you call them metaphysics but like you know if they act like, like you know like you have to say his name three times stuff like that 
Yeah, or like even what you were saying with killing a sacred deer. If it's like I don't, if I don't kill a family member, then we all die. Like that's a curse, right? Like that's right. creating the rule. But that curse is interacting with physics in the sense that like that's not like on the social science cultural level. That's just like literally a fact of reality that if he doesn't do X, Y happens, right? Yes, um, and it's represented in the movie with these like diseases, like they start bleeding and stuff. So you can there is a physical response. Yeah, that the. You know, so you know the magic's real or whatever. I'm I'm calling it magic, but it's not even yeah. It's like a curse. It's it's not even like a ceremonial uh, magic. It's just like it's something that doesn't make sense. It's said and then it's enforced by the world. Now, with w- within the like horror, like realm of like uh, like harder sci-fi as a genre, yeah, like particularly novels, yeah. Um, you're gonna see a lot of stuff that has like a really high bar for consistency. Um. You know, like some of that stuff is like really, you know, written by people that are really dedicated to getting the physics right. Yeah. Uh, really dedicated to getting the economics right. Um, sometimes those same authors are not quite as good as at character. Uh, but, you know, it's hard for someone to be good at everything. Yeah. Um, but I, but those kinds of like hard sci-fi novels, um, like, I don't know, some of the stuff, uh, you know, Greg Egan writes or I don't know or Kim Stanley Robinson or like even like uh, some like Arthur C. Clarke stuff or I, I, I don't know, like mm-hmm. uh, uh, like I'm just thinking that's not exactly what I'm talking about either because especially if you're basing this, the rules, like the fun of the rules I think is that they are novel, right? They're not just the rules of everyday life as we know it uh, and that they're like easily understandable and like, regular rules of physics and regular rules of economics to the extent that there are any rules of economics like are kind of neither right they're not like novel because we have to like live with them all the time mm-hmm. um and they're they're often very complicated right i mean a lot of there's a lot of hard sci-fi that i have like a hard time even getting through because if the author's like really into the physics um you know that's just not my like personal interest area right and when it comes to stuff like quantum mechanics i mean and so on that stuff's like famously hard to wrap your head around like it doesn't it's not great for making uh drama around it for like your general audience right because it's hard to teach them like a rule of quantum mechanics and then like have them like feel smart about anticipating what's going to happen next at on the basis of such a like hard to understand set of rules that you know you've got to go to school and study to know yeah that limits your audience yeah yeah (laughs) so so yeah so and all of which sort of like brings us back to this idea of like if you're in this simulated environment uh, we all you know use computers these days we all you know understand you know like sort of the vagaries of software how it's like designed like what it means to like change permissions or like turn it on and off settings obviously some people are more tech savvy than others but this is a space that we constantly interact with that has a lot of arbitrary novel rules i mean literally every like piece of software that you open has its own sort of arbitrary rules built into it Mm -hmm. um and you know when we're talking about actual people actual consciousnesses as files in that space there's suddenly a lot of room for this this kind of this kind of drama um and i guess like maybe maybe now would be like good to talk about like other actual simulation stories and like how good those rules are sure like mention the matrix obviously 
I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've watched that, right? But like the main character can like bend the matrix to their will kind of, but why? Yeah. Right. So it's not really made clear. I mean, some of it is just his messianic destiny, but some of it is his um, awareness of the matrix. It seems like once you become aware that you're in a simulation, you're consciousness intuitively finds some ways to interact with it um but that's yeah it's not clear at all uh in the main movies i mean i'm not like a matrix completist there are people i think there's you know um ancillary media and stuff that i don't know about right and, and i don't but even i've think seen I've the seen three major three, yeah. movies and uh i have um you know i i don't think there is any you know, complete explanation for why he's able to do that. And then in a later movie, uh, and I remember this being somewhat controversial at the time, he's even able to exert control over machines in the quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. Um, which how the mechanism would work for that is extremely unclear. And, you know, I think for some people calls into question whether that real world was even real or whether the matrix is just like a, cascade of matrices i hate that kind of explanation where it's like well was that even real at all right and well and i think that that actually would be a good answer if that's where the movies themselves ended up with like a clear explanation that yes in fact you are in a a series of matrices and you can never escape because that actually does make a certain amount of sense to me more sense than like earth is burned or something i don't know but uh they don't end up there so you know granting them that hand wave without them actually giving you that ending, I think is um, giving them too much credit. Uh, So, you know, I mean, look, the matrix did some thing important, which is, I don't think any movie before then had taken as given the concept that a computer might be able to simulate a convincing reality. Right. I mean, that was taken as given. That's, that's the premise of the first movie. And I think that was a big deal beyond that. I think it's really, really flawed. <laughs> right. Well, in another movie actually, that's sort of like the, you know, in, inherited the matrix mantle yes. that uh, is inception, right? Yes. I knew we would eventually talk about inception today. <laughs> this is maybe the best example. And the pro I mean, I haven't seen inception since it was in the theater. So again, if there's any like big inception fans that like know all the like Ugh. ancillary theories and stuff, then, then, you know, maybe I'll get something wrong. So ex- sorry about that. But, uh, but we both had the impression watching that movie that there was a lot of exposition of rules. Yes. Um, a lot of screen time spent on explaining rules, which again, that is a challenge with this kind of storytelling, I think. you know, Because you, as with all writing, you want to make the exposition entertaining and it, if you can get away with less of it, great. Again, that's another reason simple rules are good, I think. But there's a lot of time spent on exposition and we didn't feel like it actually, that those rules mattered, like it followed them. And... I can remember like one key example, but I don't know. Oh, what's like the one you remember? Well, so I remember them explaining if you die in one of the dream levels, you wake up, I believe. One level above, right? Yeah. You go you, up a level. You go up a level, yes. But if you uh if you experience pain, right, I think you don't. Right. They can torture you, but they can't kill you. Well and I don't even know that they mentioned the torture thing. But that was like very clearly the implication. And that's like, I'm like, oh, well, that's like a very dramatic rule. Yeah. Right. But then they never use that, for example. Right. Um, 
like to to any effect. Like well, they, and then they spend a in lot a of- lower level. It, see, I don't remember this either, but <laughs> another level, don't they then say that the real danger is that you're going to go cascading through genes forever, right? And then that is what kind of happens to the main character. But then he does come out of it at the end. So, I don't know. That whole movie is uh, full of... It, it feels like, when you're watching it, uh, that in each level ellen page says like okay so none of those rules matter anymore now in this level the new rule is this right and then it's like it, it then it, that matters for five seconds while they try to avoid that one rule and then there's a new rule in the next level um that's what it felt yeah. like to me watching that movie i mean i don't know i'd have to like go over it with a fine-tooth comb i'm sure there's some level on which these things do make sense because those nolan guys aren't idiots but like it when you're watching the movie it just feels like they keep pulling pulling the rug you, you know i may rewatch i may rewatch a few of these things that i've mentioned here just so i can like yeah like freshen up my my opinion on them but hey, yeah if they if they won't let me uh leave the house i mean it may come right. to a point where i will rewatch inception i don't know what... <laughs> yeah it's a few things on the list before that but we'll see um yeah i mean and i do think there's like sort of an aesthetic to um maybe just the explanation of rules itself and like constantly flipping them on you yeah and i you know i guess you know maybe phil k dick who i like is even guilty of that sometimes yes Um, but he never explains a rule to you he'll only he'll drop a character into the middle of a situation where they're supposed to know the rule and they don't (laughs) right and then you'll figure it out along with them i mean that's something he's pretty good at he doesn't usually tell you the rules of his world you like He'll show you somebody getting fucked by the rules or something, and you'll figure it yeah. out. I, I, I think that's I think that's a lot of it for me. Is um, in Inception, I think I would have basically liked the exact same movie with the exact same inconsistencies if they just explained it less. Right. I, th- I think yeah. The the, the <laughs> right? combination of having a lot of exposition but then not capitalizing on it was weird. Right? Yeah. If it was. Because it is a dream movie. If it was just weird stuff happening and no explanation for a lot of it. I'm pretty sure know. if David Lynch tried to explain to me what's happening in Mulholland Drive, I would like the movie less than I currently do. <laughs> right? Like, oh, oh my gosh. Right? Like, I mean, I'm just like, that's another dream movie that doesn't fully make sense, but I like it. It also doesn't try very hard to explain itself to you. Man, um, my. My my favorite example of having something explained and realizing oh, yes. I hate it was Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko, right? Yeah, I knew that one. <laughs> now, now I think there's like a longer cut, director's cut of it or something that I maybe haven't seen. So I don't know. Maybe that like has a different... Uh, but the first time I saw the movie, whatever the first cut was released, mm-hmm. um, it just had this like really like weird, creepy, like good tone. I didn't really fully understand it, but I really enjoyed it. And then I watched it with the director's commentary and the director explained like these very like weird arbitrary rules that are never taught to you and like also don't have repercussions and like what he actually meant by it. And I was like, I just lost so much respect for that movie just from hearing the director talk about it. That's, yeah, I don't think that's ever I happened to about me. about the like time travel worms coming out of their stomachs or whatever. I was just like, all right, I'm out. But, but. I had the same experience as you watching it the first time, which is I didn't know what it was about, but uh, it had realistic moments and then it had weird surreal shit and it was fun to watch. It had a great vibe. That's the thing is that if that's a good failure mode. If you have bad rules, but you don't expose them a lot, you can still end up making a good movie. 
Right. If you keep it fuzzy, it, it, once you start getting really crisp and clear, I think you're then you about have what to the be good. rules are. <laughs> yeah. And you have to, and you're on the hook for following them. Yeah. I think. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what we want to set out to do here, right? Is to make them very clearly understood, um, and just like never break from them. And I mean, since we're going to, I think we're going to be building this like world from the ground up, like by just sort of determining what those rules are. Yeah. And, you know, if we find a place where, you know, we can't tell the story we want because it like breaks the rule, then we're going to just change the rule. Right. I mean, like ultimately the rules that we're going to choose, um, they should make some sense. Like when I was explaining the platform, like, yes, it's like your mind reels that like, this is just so absurd. Why? Um, uh, you know, like, like, why is this happening at all? Right. Like, I think, you know, we want to make our rules somewhat like logical in the sense of like, if someone were to build a simulation, it sort of makes sense that maybe they would make do it this way. Right. 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 Um, we want, we don't want to do black mirror bicycle dystopia. Right. Like we don't want to build a world that makes no sense. Yeah. So we want it to make like some baseline level of sense. So your mind doesn't like immediately recoil like this is just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but other than that, like we can kind of make the rules whatever we want and we want them to be like rules such that they generate the most interesting drama, which again, that inception rule to me does that. Like the fact that like you only like wake up if you die, like, like presents like a very like scary and frightening level of stakes for people, um, where they could be tortured. Um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta actually like capitalize on that stuff when it, when it happens. Right. Um, like if we're going to make a rule like that, Chekhov's gun style, we've got to then torture somebody and have them try to kill themselves and either succeed or fail, you know, like, oh yeah. Chekhov's gun is like a great reference point for this. I mean, isn't that yeah. basically what you're c c kind of complaining about here is that like they totally Chekhov gunned like a cool torture sequence and then they left you with blue balls. Yeah, they showed us the gun. They didn't fire it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, we definitely need to police it for that. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, the first thing is to build up this world that we think makes sense both from the top down and the bottom up. Like it makes sense when you pretend that you're the god or alien or AI or whatever that made it, and it also makes sense when you pretend that you're the character in it, and you know like whatever the character is doing in that world doesn't feel like insane to us. You know, it feels like something somebody would do if they woke up in the morning and there was a welcome screen, you know, projected inside their vision or, or whatever we're going to show this, or there was a voice in their head saying, welcome to the new reality. Everything has changed, you know? Um, right. Right. And I, I think, um, which like that opening actually reminds me of something else. Uh, uh, the Good Place. Did you watch the, all of that show? Uh, I haven't seen the last season of it, but I watched the first three seasons of The Good Place, and I quite liked the first season. Yeah, so that's a show. Now, th look, that's a show. That's a comedy, uh, and it's sort of a comedy about philosophy, and I think it... Um, yeah, and it's an afterlife story, your favorite genre, as we talked about. Yeah, well, well again, because afterlife stories also like can interface with this like i mean there's a lot of reasons i like them but they also can interface with this idea of rules ultimately i don't think the good place really does a job of that i think it, to me it doesn't bother me because it's sort of the counter example 
uh, to uh, the Inception thing, right? Inception makes you think the rules matter and then they don't. Uh, the Good Place makes it very clear that the rules do not matter. They are just telling a comedy show that has philosophy in it, right? Like, so they routinely, like, do weird, inconsistent, like, things that are very hard to, like, grasp, like, why certain things happen the way they happen in their, like, strange afterlife. Yeah. And they, well, the power they, structure yeah. there is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's very unclear, like, exactly, like, how things work there. Uh, and, and they seem to just sort of introduce like new rules or characters like sort of for convenience of jokes and for convenience of like moving the plot forward whenever they want. But I'm fine with that because at no point does the show like ever signal to me like that it's supposed to be consistent in that way. Um, like the characters are consistent and that's all that matters, right? Um, yeah. So well, and the world is consistent in that it always always throws something difficult at the characters, which is really all you want in a broad comedy, anyway, right? I mean, right. It it consistently challenges them, and that's what I think that's what that show is about, ultimately. Um, yeah. So that one is one where, uh, despite it being a, an afterlife show, it doesn't maybe interface with the world. Um that we're trying to build. Um, no. Now, as much as I like it, I think I would like it better if it, if it did this thing we're talking about, if it managed to like, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time, like be a right. comedy with characters. That's funny, but also have some like clear rules that it's following. So um, this makes me think of a few other things that do this a little bit better. Um, like defending your life. Uh, I like comes that movie. to mind the Albert Brooks movie with Meryl Streep and in that movie he uh, dies at the beginning and he goes to um, a sort of waiting room for heaven or hell where you uh, the per- the premise is you have to defend your choices and uh, you basically it's like a court metaphor to see if you're um, a good person or not and while he's there he falls in love and there's a whole story that goes on but the rules of the place are paramount to the plot and he has to basically, he gets motivated to really kind of prove his own goodness um, because of this love story that's happening and he has to follow their rules and sort of try to figure out how to game their system. Um, Another movie that's like that is the uh, Koreeda Hirokazu movie uh, Afterlife, which is Japanese movie. Uh, It's probably about 20 years old now. It's really good. And it's about, uh, I've been sur- meaning to watch that. A yeah. s- similar way station. I know you haven't watched it, so I won't spoil it. But basically, it's a similar way station. But instead of a judgment that happens there, essentially, uh, you pick your favorite moment from your life, and then you uh, collaborate with the other people there to like make a film of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's it's very poetic uh, version of sort of the same thing. And then when the people see the screening of their film, they just sort of surrealistically disappear. And, uh, my favorite thing about that is if you fail to make a film, um, then you become one of the people who works there. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love that. That detail just really worked for me because the whole time I'm sitting there going, where do these people who work there come from? <laughs> That's a conceit of other like afterlife stories that I yeah. often enjoy, which yeah. is like who ends up like it's sort of purgatory becomes is like over is the bureaucracy. Right. right? So it's like, either, is it like, uh, is it, uh, you know, de- demons or angels who are working this bureaucracy or is it like, yeah, the, the wayward souls who, who couldn't move on to the next place, like in Beetlejuice, I think that's how they are too. And yeah, and a few other things. 
Yeah, no, I I, I got to watch that movie, but yeah, I, I like that genre because of this this potential. Mm-hmm. Should we should we talk about? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm gonna probably watch it soon and uh, report back. But like upload. Um, which you sent me the trailer for. Yeah, it's not out yet, but it will be out soon. Um, So uh, hopefully by the time people are listening to this, uh, it will be out and they can watch it. Um, I don't know that much about it. It's made by Greg Daniels, who also made The Office and uh, the upcoming Space Force show. Um, And it's a digital afterlife story. uh, We've seen the trailer. In the trailer, you can see that the main character... um, gets uploaded into a computer uh, because of some physical accident that happens to him. And then uh, the trailer is full of um, things like he turns a dial and the outside changes from fall to spring. And it definitely interfaces with like what we're, what we've been talking about uh, for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully not in a way that like spoils our idea, but the, the vibe I got from the trailer was that this was going to be very jokey, yes. uh, probably not very consistent in its rules, and more like a digital good place. But we'll see. I mean, you know, we can kind of keep our, you know, in some senses, our our review the future, uh, uh, like media club going a little bit because I, I'm definitely <laughs> going to watch this, right? I assume. You oh are. yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it, and I have actually seen some of Space Force, uh, which is coming out, and that's incredibly good. So I think there's a possibility that this is going to be great. Um, I really don't know, um, but yeah, the jokes that were in the trailer, like there was a lot of like glitching images jokes and stuff that like made me think the joke is going to be like you're in a computer except it doesn't work, you know, or like, I think for some reason he has to be in there with other people. So it's going to be kind of like being stuck in Facebook forever or something, which sounds pretty terrible. So I think one of the <laughs> might be really relevant to people right now, actually, yeah. uh, but, but not, not doing what we're talking. Yeah. About. Yeah. But I think that one of the things that I think is interesting about the, the um, constellation world or whatever we're calling it now, um, the world, wait, of wait, wait. the so- world's, Let's let's flag that because uh yeah we constellation is one of the names we are considered for this permissions idea which again permissions is not a great name we explained why we've been sort of referencing it as that but the one of the other names we're considering is constellation but sorry go on I just wanted to point yeah that out. sorry just because there's many worlds so I don't know if that's the right name for it but whatever it is this the metaverse or constellation or whatever we're gonna call it the uh, the worlds. Um, is that I think we've come up with a basic concept that does not sound inherently like a hell, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> the other thing that um, you can't help but think about with this is like no exit, right? So, uh, you know, that's hell is other people and it's like, right? It's a sort of a post-scarcity mm-hmm. universe that's not explicitly stated, but they're in this room where they apparently are going to be able to stay forever with no food or anything. And they're all just, you know, in like a kind of screwed up love triangle where nobody can manage to uh, uh, get off. And it just seems like, a, you know, it's going to last like that forever. And that's sort of that's the depiction of hell. And so, you know, look, we're imagining a world where people are sort of trapped in this box, but the box is very large and you have a lot of privacy. You have a lot of your own space and your own control, your own agency. So 
you know, I guess a big question that we're kind of asking ourselves is, can we create an eventuality here where this is not a hell? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and also it not not a heaven either. And not like, a heaven right? either. Right, right. And, like, and that, that's what makes this different from an afterlife story fundamentally, I think. Um, and... And, and this is also like connects it to what like a similar goal that we had with let go, right? Which is we did not want to like paint a future that was a cautionary tale uh, or like or something that we're advocating for, right? It was not a heaven or a hell either. Right. Um, you know, that's my least favorite thing in all types of speculative fiction. You know, it's 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 post scarcity. So no one has to starve. Great. OK, that's a good starting point. That's mm-hmm. better than our current world in a lot of ways. But does that mean everybody's happy does that mean everybody gets what they want as we talked about in our things that's very scarce no it doesn't right there's a lot of potential scarcity still um including these permissions we've alluded to and there's a lot of room for for drama and struggle um so yeah, it's, yeah an it's, interesting philosophical question that i that all is making me think of is like is it necessary to want more as your needs are met. There are people in our world now who don't have a lot and who are relatively happy. And then obviously below a certain material threshold, it's very hard to be happy. I think it's interesting to to try to explore a little bit like the psychology of getting all the things that you thought you wanted mm-hmm. and having those things come to you very easily, very suddenly at you know a random point in your life. And then what's the half-life on happiness that results on, uh, from that? And do, is it just inevitable that once those, those needs are met that you will, you know, develop ennui, basically, um, you know, as we sort of imagine uh, all upper-class people must do eventually or something? Right, right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that, I mean, that's sort of that hedonic treadmill idea. We talked to David Pierce about that in our interview with him. And yeah, it, yeah, it really seems like a, like a truism of our of our biology um, that we like sort of always end up like chasing uh, more things. Um, obviously, like, you know, there's entire religions like Buddhism that, uh, you know, revolve around maybe sort of pushing back against that. Um but I think I do think that seems like a truism. Now, the way we got around that and let go, of course, is like and we imagine that the technology itself would change our brains um, such that maybe that wouldn't be wouldn't be a concern anymore. Um, right. And that's I, a big thing we have to decide for this. Right. I mean, not to dive too deep into like note stuff now, but we do need to talk about to what extent these participants can change their own brains at some point. So. I'm inclined uh, to, again, without getting too into the details today, uh, I'm inclined to make it a rule that you can't, that the beings in this simulated world um, have limited control over their own personalities and brains because, um, and and largely for drama purposes, I could imagine various reasons why, uh, you know, the simulation would be set up that way to deny that access. And to me, you know, again, if you can just change your brain, you know, then it does kind of like lead us towards much the same ending as let go, I feel like, or maybe it leads to an interesting place, but it's not, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, my intuition is that's not the most dramatic rule Yeah, to, is to, is, so I would disallow that probably. It does sort of get in the way of, I think what you and I think we know about how to write good characters, because once you change their brain, that is really changing the character in like a fundamental way that nothing else is, that no experience or, you know, can 
be as much right. as like changing the actual pathways in your brain and the thoughts that arise. Um, now I do. Th- th- they have to be able to do things like take drugs, though. So sure, there, there can is be definitely kinds a range of, of changes that they can make that are you know at least their current range. Plus, I would imagine some additional, some ex- expanded range. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to draw that out very clearly, so yeah. we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. But I, I want to just pick up on something else you said about like ennui. Yeah. Um, because I mean, like that's another way this gets painted is, and actually, honestly, I, I don't. I mean, assuming you're gonna actually finish the good place, like I mean, no, not a huge surprise. Like eventually they get to the good place, right? Mm. And like that's sort of the sort of standard boilerplate. I mean, I didn't really like how that show ended, to be honest, but like that's sort of where it ends up. Like everybody in the good place just kind of gets like like their brains atrophy because like they have nothing to strive for and they just sort of like uh there's they sort of like end up like with this ennui, this like boredom. And I think mm-hmm. again, part of the thing that I'm supposing for our world is that there's just still so when especially when it's social, right? And status is involved, and positional goods are involved, and attention is involved, and all the things that we've talked about on our podcast that stay scarce. Right. It just seems to me that, you know, barring the ability to change your own brain, like like setting that aside, that just life just kind of goes on as usual. You know, just with you know the benefit that nobody's starving, obviously, but like there's still striving, there's still struggling, there's still like I care what so and so thinks of me, so. I'm going to, you know, lie to them and then that's going to backfire. Like a lot of that same stuff I think would persist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, I think that's more interesting. I, I, I have, I don't know what happens in the last season of, uh, the good place, but I have, I guess my hope for it was that somehow they were going to come up with some way to end the good place with it all having been all having been the bad place you know (laughs) like all of the like basically just pull the end of the first season reveal again for the whole rest of the show (laughs) you know um which because that was the only thing that was like making sense to me was i was watching that's still show possible watching oh is there more of the show i don't know i mean i literally i'm just this is not. I have not seen. No, it, so there's a there's a there's a couple like maybe an episode and a half I haven't seen. So yeah. maybe maybe, so maybe that does coming, happen. If, if if it is, I didn't blow it for you on purpose. That's just what I was hoping it would be. Uh, I don't know, um, because just to me, like you know, um, once they reveal that, I mean, I thought that was a really interesting reveal, and I th- I I enjoyed it. And then once they revealed that, that made me think that. Well, obviously, you're not going to be able to escape hell. <laughs> that seems like it would be a really bad system, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I don't know. I just thought that that was uh, where they were headed with it. But I don't know. I, I I feel like there is like a maybe this is like a, you know, a different project for a different day. But I think there is like an interesting discussion to go into like, could we build a functioning utopia and set a story there, you know? Well, I think actually... Um and this is, again, something we're going to get into more detail later, but we've talked about there being religions in this world. Yeah. Because, again, much like our world, like, nobody really knows how it got there, right? So, you know, although, and in some ways, religion is more rational because they people sort of, like, like remember a time before and everything around them 
very strongly indicates design, I think even more so than our current world. So, right. Um, well, if there was a, a voice that I could talk to in my head that changed reality, uh, I'd probably be more religious. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think that's right. And so like one of the, we've talked about what different strains of those religions could be. And I think it's going to be fun to get into that later on another episode. But like one of them could one of the theories could be that they are in utopia. Right. I mean, because there's going to be theories about like, what is this place? Who built it? Why? Mm hmm. And, you know, there's an argument that this imperfect place where people are still feuding over status and stuff and doing things that make them human is just the best utopia you can create, right? That, um, you know what I mean? Like, sure. like that is, because, yeah. you know, it, it is still, like, one thing about our world is it does respect autonomy. Um, there's definitely aspects of it that are that are preferable to our world. So, right. you know, maybe, maybe it is utopia. Well, there's and you could that- build for yourself right a literal representation of heaven right like if you wanted to you could build um a cloud world where there's no gravity and uh you know every time you open your mouth it's filled (laughs) with the sweetest taste and there are cherubs playing harps that are just you know ai characters and uh you know you could even let other people in if they you know pass some sort of goodness test or whatever it is you think they need to do. Um, right. I mean, you could literally build like a rep, like a, like yes. a heaven that has been, you know, promoted <laughs> in the past. Well, so, uh, if you wanted to. So, well, so this gets to another like dramatic limitation though, that like that's similar to the, I can't meddle with my own brain limitation. Okay which is like how good of AIs can I create? And so one right. of the rules that we're going to probably discuss and argue about more, but like that we've suggested is that, you know, the AIs that you can make um, in this world that like the system allows you to create are somewhat limited um, because otherwise then you really don't need other people, right? I mean, now maybe you have some sense like that they're always fake, but if you... It does sort of put constraints on your ability to build a private heaven if you the people you populate it with aren't like a hundred percent quality imitations, right? Right. I um, was thinking you could make the harp playing cherubim because they just need to fly around and look cute and play harps, right? But uh, if you wanted to have a conversation with somebody or something, you'd have to let in a, another person. Right, but let's say let's say your fantasy was to be uh I, I, I don't know, like uh like some famous king or something, right? Sure. Uh like you know, that like like that's just maybe gonna be it depends. Like I'm again I'm imagining the AIs are vastly superior to anything we have in like today's video games. So that's gonna be plenty good for people to amuse themselves in for oh, a long um, time. What did you think but, about did you watch Watchmen? No, I need to watch Watchmen. I've, I've been wanting to reread the comic first. Okay, I would go ahead and I personally I would go ahead and just watch it and don't bother re- rereading the comic because it's such a it's a sequel, but it's like it has to retell the whole story anyway because it, you know it's set far in the future and it doesn't suppose anybody has read the comic who's seeing it. So it's sort of I don't know. Anyway, it's up to you. I don't think you really need to be like fresh on it if you know the basics, but. Um, they do something in Watchmen uh, that's rel- relevant for that. Uh, there are these 
characters that um, uh, Adrian Veidt interacts with, and they are uh, they are not um, software, but they have like a certain simplicity to them, and uh, it's frustrating for him. It, they play it interestingly. I had a little bit of a trouble with the hand wave for why they were like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're kind of they're kind of made by Doctor Manhattan, so I think you can maybe. Okay, I I kind of see what you're getting at. You can maybe say like, well, he designed them this way on purpose or something. But um, yeah, anyway, they're sort of these. They're similar to the AI characters that we're creating, and they're limited in a similar way. And I think um, yeah, that's worth looking at because um, yes, we might. We we want to just be very explicit about what what limits we want to put on the AIs. Like I think one thing in the notes that you said, which I liked, was maybe they're limited to knowing things that the creator knows. Right. Uh, that could be a rule. Again, like, yeah. Like speaking of clear rules, like this is an area where it's like if that so many like AI stories get wrong, which is that if the AIs have a limitation. We should figure out what it is. Yeah. So it could be that. Yeah. I think I also had in the notes maybe that it's like just they have like they're they're sort of built out of these modules that you kit bash together that are available inside the, the simulation. And so like but you can only like like combine so many mo- modules together or they get confused. So like they they only have like so many domains they can know about and like maybe it's some limit and like you get them outside of that and they they are lost. Um yeah, that's Maybe interesting. That, yeah, yeah, something. So we, yeah, something clear. Yeah, Go we ahead. just have to figure out where where we think those limits are coming from. Is it like a computation resources thing, or is it in order to encourage human interaction? Like, sort of, what is the purpose of that? Maybe would help us figure out where is the where's the good limitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like the idea that they are somehow limited. Uh, or maybe they're not limited. I also like the idea that they are not limited, but they always are obvious to you because the system makes it obvious to you. I mean, we talked about it might be possible to turn that off or something, um, but the default anyway would be that, you know, your assistant knows um, what's a robot and what isn't. So you don't have any Westworld problems of like not knowing your boss is a robot, but it might just be in enough of a problem to just know they're not real even if they're fully functioning certainly for some people it might be and you know the other way out of this right is that like we want to tell an interesting story but we don't have to like we get to focus our lens on whatever part of this world we want and like one of the things i think that we're supposing is that if people can retreat into their home worlds and like build heavens for themselves some percentage of people is it greater than 50 percent? i don't know are going to just do that um, and you know, we may have a story, uh, a couple stories that maybe like dive into those like sort of solipsistic homeworlds for a minute. Yeah. But I think by and large, those are not the epicenters of our stories. Our stories are going to happen with the other 50% of people that decide to like play a part in the like communal economy of this world. Right. I would like to see a story where someone has to go into a heaven and convince its owner to leave, right? Like uh, somebody has retreated to heaven 50 years ago or whatever, 20 years ago, and um, they're needed for some reason. They have some skill or knowledge or relationship that's critical to another character. 
So that, yes. that character goes into their world, into the heaven world, you know, has to agree to all the stuff and experience the pleasure of heaven and everything in order to float over to where the sky is and be like, come out with me, you know, come rejoin the world of pain and sorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I absolutely think that's a, that's a story that has to be in there. That's and, a and cool maybe like, like that. Maybe a, uh, uh, maybe a good place to, uh, to sort of like wrap this up too, is to maybe just sort of like sketch out what we think this actual graphic novel is likely to be now. Cause like, we're going to spend a lot of time obviously as we have been on just discussing the world itself, right? Because that's kind of the star in some ways. Right? And that's what's going to need the most discussion because it's so complex, right? It's just a, it's big. <laughs> so that's true. Yeah. 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 Um, but we were probably in the graphic novel. I, I last we talked and this is subject to change going to probably have one major story. Now this could be one, you know, if this goes well, there could be other graphic novels that continue, but like sort of one major story that we've already basically got sketched out um, with a main character that's in this setting. And then a lot of little tangential side stories um, that are like mini ones, maybe like the one you just described of like, could be like a mini, like two page story um, that we get as sort of like an interstitial tangent in between the main story. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess I'm not sure whether I think it should be like the interstitials are sort of carrying through or if they're just little, like, I don't know. I haven't just, I haven't got an idea yet of what I think the best way to sort of cut away from the story is, but I definitely think we need to uh, keep expanding out our view of the world while we focus on this one particular story of this guy who's trying to get into a club. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so if if you're if you're listening to this and finding this at all interesting, then great. Um, if you want to be part of our, uh, our our media club, then uh, watch upload because we're going to be watching that and talking about it. I'm sure. Oh yeah, and, uh, and or, subject to its availability, I actually don't know when it comes down on Amazon, but it's not out yet. When we're well, recording judging this. that we won't get this up super on time, yeah. I imagine it may be it may be available by the time you hear this. Yes. Um. And yeah, next uh and next we watch episode. The Matrix and uh Inception and anybody who can find a bad rule and fa- and email it to us will get we'll talk about it, right? <laughs> Actually the, the the two that I'm going to watch are I, I'm not going to bother going back to the Matrix, but I'm going to rewatch Inception if I can make myself get through oh, it. Boy. It's long. Good luck. And, and, <laughs> well, I also, I I'm going to watch rewatch try to rewatch It Follows because I had a good solid critique of that at one point and i just like i'm sort of frustrated that i can't remember it okay yeah i just think it's like might be too yeah yeah. cool um Uh, all right well uh we don't have an official sign off yet but we'll just improvise something i guess this has been constellation making the graphic novel our theme song is pomona by audios to subscribe to this podcast look us up on itunes or your favorite podcatcher application You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.